Hi, I'm Liz, and welcome to Hard Homework. So there are a lot of places right now to process facts, but there's not that many spaces that are helping us process our feelings. And that's what this podcast is all about. So the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. That's a quote by Carl Rogers um, that, that really sets the tone for our topic today, which is going to be the last stage of grief, or it used to be the last stage of grief, um, which is acceptance. So next week, we'll be looking at the sixth stage of, of grief called meaning that was added recently. Um, but acceptance is such a crucial stage, right? Being able to accept life and ourselves as we are is something that's um, that's really difficult. And as your you know course, coursework this week, I really highly recommend the book Radical Acceptance, a book by doctor and psychologist Tara Bratch, um, where she talks about how radically accepting reality and leaning into pain rather than trying to fix it is the path to really living in radical acceptance um, and to, to to living in 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 freedom, really, right? Because accepting things means that you're free from the things that you can't control. Um, so our guest today is the author of It's Not What It Looks Like. She has also traveled the world as a speaker, has no less than 2 million subscribers on her YouTube channel. And she's also a dear friend of mine, uh, Molly Burke. So Molly, at four years old, um, she was diagnosed with a rare retinal disease that causes a loss of vision. And at 14, she became completely blind. And while she spent most of her young life um, as a literal poster child to find a cure for blindness, um, she was actually a, a spokesperson for the foundation fighting blindness in Canada. Um, but later in life and more, more recently, she pivoted away from that. Last year, uh, Molly told NBC, I don't want a cure. I want a voice. In other words, she is really the perfect guest to talk about our topic today, which is acceptance. Um, Molly, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, and tell me if I got any of this wrong, but it but it really seemed like you have learned to accept your blindness and not just embrace it, but actually kind of fall in love with it. Absolutely. I think acceptance is the number one thing we can have in life. It's the best gift we can give ourselves. Mm. And you know, I think self-love and self-acceptance are like really trendy Instagram captions and, yeah. <laughs> and like things we can put on a t-shirt to be positive, but there's yeah. more to it than just saying it to feel it and to live it. And it's a journey and there's ups and downs and it's continual and it changes and it grows with you. Um, mm. So it's really, it's not just like one and done, like, oh, I've like done this thing got there, we're over it, we've moved forward, it, it moves with you. Wow, I love that. So did you always know that? Like, when was it, what is your path to acceptance been like? Was it one day waking up and being, you know, understanding this, first of all, this model of, of, of disability, right? Right. The medical, for those who, who might not be, uh, you know, familiar, there's a medical model of disability and then a social model of disability. The medical model says, well, if you have a disability, you're the problem. Your disability is the problem. And the social model says, actually, having a disability is not the problem. It's our society that's the problem. Our society is not adapted to uh, all abilities. So, so were you, were you always like, how do you break away from, I think, the mainstream model, which is incorrect, that if you have a disability, then you need to fix it? It's very hard because most parents of disabled kids are able bodied, 
And because they're able-bodied, they've, ne they've never been immersed in the world of disability. And because they've never been immersed in the world of disability, they follow the medical model of disability because that's what most of society believes. And yeah. so, you know, you see all of these charities fundraising this money. It's like, oh, this poor little blind girl. You know, it's all of these mm -hmm. stories to pull the heartstrings. She'll never live a successful life if she can't see. We need to cure her. And so when that's all the messaging everybody's always receiving from these charities mm -hmm. and, and from these doctors and these scientists, um, that's the way we're going to view them. And then when you have a disabled child, that's the way you're going to raise them because that's what yeah. you know. And right. very, very vicious cycle. Um, so for me, just like I spoke about, like my, it's a journey to acceptance. There's no like mm. flip. It's, it's a long process. And for me, it, it was something that took place over probably about eight years. And it actually didn't oh, yeah. start with blindness. Um, it started with other aspects of myself that I started to realize I was hiding away. So it was kind of coming to terms with all the different facets that make me Molly and slowly learning to accept and embrace and share those parts of myself with others. What was the first thing that you accepted? What, what was that was there like a, a specific moment for you or a specific thing or a specific interaction where you were like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not taking this on, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take this model of trying to fix myself. I'm going to take this model of accepting myself. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was when I was in grade eight and I had lost my vision and I lost all my friends along with my vision and I was bullied. And, mm. you know, I, I remember just getting to this point and I was like, well, I'm listening to the music I'm told is cool. I'm wearing the clothes I'm told are cool. <laughs> like I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do to fit in. And I still have no friends and I'm still being bullied. And I don't even like who I am because I'm not being authentic. Wow. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, I might as well listen to the music I like. And I might as well dye my hair the color I want. And I might as well wear the clothes that I want, even if it's not cool, because at least it's me. Mm -hmm. And so at least I will like myself, even if nobody else likes me, they don't already. So I might as well just like who yeah. I'm doing. And so when I made that change, I felt more free. You know, I felt more confident. And in turn, because I felt more confident, because I was being more authentic and people were seeing me for who I really was, that's actually when I started making genuine connections with people in my life. It's when I had my first boyfriend mm. and I started making friends again. And all of these things started to come together because people were seeing me for who I was, but they were also seeing somebody who was happy and confident being unique and not just trying to fit into the mold. Wow. That's really amazing. I love that you talk about how it made you, or, or that, that one of the, I, I guess, unintended consequences of it was more genuine connections with people because you're amazing, right? You're just this, like, I mean, I've met you, you're this, you have such a bubbly, beautiful presence and spirit. And actually when you are living in non-acceptance, you're, you're, you're not shining as bright as you could be, right? You're actually cutting yourself off from not just yourself, but kind of from other people too. You're holding yourself back in life by not by mm. embracing all the facets of who you are and really owning them and loving them and accepting them. You're so much more free to fully express who you are and be open and be happy and be positive and be outgoing and authentic. And it's an incredible feeling and you'll be more successful. 
Um, you'll make more genuine connections. So many good mm. things come in, and you'll live a lighter life. You won't have the mm. weight of this thing that you're dragging around and hiding from yourself and from others. Yeah. And what can we talk about? So this is you, you've talked so beautifully about self-acceptance and that kind of labor and work is part of the work accepting other people too, right? Even to a sense of, you know, accepting these people who are bullying you and not that doesn't mean surrendering it or or accepting bad treatment or not having boundaries. But was there a part of you that also had to kind of accept society as it was where there are these barriers to understanding there are people who are ignorant there are people who um, aren't as educated as they should be? What, what, was there a part of you that also had to accept society? I think I had to learn to meet society where they are yeah. in order to understand and help them move forward. Mm. I love that. Um, and let's talk a little bit about this moment we're in right now. <laughs> have you have you accepted the current situation? Have you accept have you been in a process of of acceptance? Um, that you can't leave your house, that you can't travel as much as you used to, that you can't do your job in the same way that you used to. What what has this um, pandemic been for you? You know, it comes in waves. It comes in ups and downs. Um, I think at first you're all kind of like a, in a bit of disbelief. You're in shock. You're trying to understand how this is going to affect your life. Then you're starting to figure out how you're going to adapt to the new reality um, you're trying to like be the most positive and optimistic and on top of things at first. And then some of those things start to peter out as time goes on. And then you start to fall down into a hole and you realize, no, I have to go back to doing all of those things again that were keeping me up at the beginning. And so I think mm -hmm. like everybody else, I'm just trying to figure it all out. Um, and I recognize that I'm in, you know, a more privileged position than many. Um, I'm still, still able to work not in the same capacity. You know, some of my work stuff has been halted, but there are things I'm still able to do to keep myself busy work-wise. Um, financially, you know, I'm currently not concerned about how I'm going to pay my rent, which is a really, yeah. really big blessing. Um, but my life as I know it is gone, just like it is for everybody else. And I remember tweeting one night a few weeks ago, I was like, I have an eye infection. I'm PMSing. I'm three weeks into quarantine as an extrovert. And I'm really over this. And you know, a lot of people were like, I feel you, girl. Oh, my God. Totally understand. And this one person was like, stop fucking complaining about not being able to go outside when people are dying. And I was like, you know what? It's okay that I'm struggling today. It's yeah. okay that anybody admit that they're struggling because this isn't normal. This is not normal. Mm. So no, yes, I'm lucky I am not dying and none of my loved ones are dying. But we have to admit this isn't the life we know. And I think that was a really big thing for me when I went blind is one of my classmates said, well, at least you're not dying of cancer. Oh, for me, really? Someone said that to you? Yes. And for me, it was like, you're right. I'm not dying of cancer, but it feels like a piece of me is dying and I'm watching mm. it die in front of me. I'm literally watching mm. And I don't think we can compare pain. Pain is relative. And there's one thing 
that makes me really sad after I do a public speaking event. It's when somebody comes and goes, you know, I struggle with depression, but I've, I haven't dealt with anything nearly as bad as you have in your life. And, and I don't, now I don't understand why I'm struggling. And I'm like, no, it's okay that you're struggling. At least you're not a starving kid in Africa doesn't take away a broken heart, you know, and, and pain is mm. relative to your life experiences to where you're at in life. You know, if you've lived a very charmed life, um, that breakup might hit you really hard, you know? Um, and so your breakup, if it's the worst pain you've ever felt, that's equivalent to me going blind being the worst pain I've ever mm -hmm. felt. Your pain is not less important than mine yeah. just because I've been through something that society deems, you know, more extreme or that is more rare. Mm. Do you think that that, that we people do that to each other but we also do that to ourselves like we intellectualize our own pain where we we feel pain and then we tell ourselves well you're being stupid right now or you're being um you're being negative right now at least you don't have this do you think we discount our own pain too absolutely and there's one thing that i try not to do with myself when i'm having my own kind of self dialogue is I try not to add but mm. into the sentence. So this sucks, but at least no, no, but this sucks yeah. and it's okay yeah. that it sucks and that it sucks right now. Like I can just be okay with it sucking <laughs> and not and know that it's not always gonna suck and that you know tomorrow will be a different day and I'll feel better, but right now today it sucks and it's okay for me to admit that to myself and to let myself feel it oh, I love that. as long as I let myself live in that forever how did you learn that I love that trick you know I have learned through um through talk therapy through cognitive behavior therapy through reading self-help books um like Louise hey you can heal your life mm. There's so many things that I've used, um, finding spirituality, and there's just so many facets that have that have kind of played a role in my healing mm. and kind of helping create the mindset that I have now. But just like everything, it's a journey to get to this place. And I'm just lucky that I went through something very traumatic, very young, that forced me into walking this journey and understanding myself and the world around me better at a younger yeah. age. And do you think that a lot of our pain comes from not feeling our pain? Like basically, again, coming back to our topic, which is acceptance. Um, a lot of what, what I know I'm doing right now is is when something feels too sad <laughs> for, for me, particularly sadness is, a, you know, um, another emotion that, that we've talked about with Justin, but uh, last week, but, but to me, acceptance and sadness really go hand in hand, meaning that there are some things that feel too sad to accept. And therefore I actually multiply the pain by denying the pain because it, it can feel so overwhelming. You're, we're so tempted to put butts as a almost as like a buoy as a sense that well this will help it feel less painful but actually right the cure or like the cure of the pain is kind of in the pain absolutely i think for me the best thing i did for myself and i didn't even realize it at the time i just did it because i didn't know what else mm -hmm. to do but the best thing i did for myself at the time of my vision loss was to just go to the darkest place possible yeah. you know let myself sink as low 
as I could and get to that bottom and realize like, I'm going to give this one more shot and I'm going to fight for myself. Um, but I went through, you know, months or a year of just letting myself be at that lowest place and then starting to climb out and starting to fight for myself and starting to work on myself and starting that journey of acceptance. Mm. And, um, you know, now there's, there's no built up emotions that I hid away. I dealt with it. I let it all out. I got rid of it. I released it from my mind, my soul, my body. It's gone. Mm. And all that's in me, things that I filled myself with now that I was empty. And what, what did you see when you were in the darkness? For me, all of my thoughts were, I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, you know, it was all of those negative just cycles happening in my mind. And, and it felt like I was never going to be successful or happy or healthy or find love and happiness. I wasn't going to smile or laugh again or know what joy felt like ever. And, and to me, once I was in that darkest, darkest moment and I was at that rock bottom, I thought, okay, well, I can either end my life or I can give it one final shot. Mm. And, you know, as dark as it sounds in my mind, I was like, well, suicide will always be there for me. So I might as well give it one more wow. shot. I might as well fight one more time. I might as well try to feel better because I've let myself wallow. I've let myself have all of this negative self-talk. I've let myself cry and be angry and resentful and hide myself away and ask why me mm. and have my pity party for months, a year. Let me try one last shot to give myself a chance. Wow. And does that darkness ever come back? Do you have moments of hardship and, and do you have things that you do to self-soothe in those moments? Do you have like a little acceptance toolkit <laughs> that you go into when this happens? Or, 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 yeah, is it still, you know, you've talked about it as a process. It, it's also kind of a practice. Um, so what, what do you do when, it, and if it does kind of come back and in, in, in certain moments or in a comment on Twitter or whatever it is in, in its form. There's lots of things that I still do on a daily basis to keep that continual positive growth happening. So big believer in positive affirmations. Mm -hmm. um, I pray every night. That's a big thing for me personally. Um, so things like that are things that I do to keep my mind working on positivity and healthy mm -hmm. thoughts. Um, but I also, you know, continue to do um, neurofeedback. Um, What's that? Tell us about that. <laughs> well, it was a neuroscientist. And from my understanding, it was originally created for PTSD, which I was diagnosed with following an accident when I was mm -hmm. 20. Um, mm -hmm. They now use it for addiction. Uh, anger management problems, anxiety, depression, and they basically um, use this neuro jelly and these transmitters and they put them on different parts of your brain yeah. and they use electricity to stimulate different parts of your brain to, to help change the, the broken flow. Wow, that's amazing. So I How long have you been doing yeah, that for? Um, I've been doing that now for a couple of months and it's what's helped me get off my anxiety medication. Mm. Um, I've been on for years. So that's been really exciting for me. You know, there's nothing wrong with being on medication, but it, it was something that I knew I would want to try to not be on mm -hmm. forever. Um, and 
that's been another positive part of quarantine for me because my life was always so busy that I was always like, there's never a time when I'm willing to come off anxiety meds because if anybody's ever come off yeah. them, you know yeah. that your brain chemistry now has to yeah. rebalance and take over again, which is really hard. It takes yeah. time where your emotions go too high and too low and you have to adjust again. And I'm always so busy and I'm always traveling and I'm always at important mm -hmm. events that I was never going to have that time to let my brain heal and, and readapt. And so quarantine, I was kind of like, okay, I've been doing my neurofeedback. It's really helping me balance. Let me start transitioning off during quarantine because really I have nothing but sitting in my closet to do. So <laughs> talking to your friends were like, come on my podcast. First of all, congratulations. I, I, I actually got off um, uh, yeah, SSRIs in November and I had the same perspective as you where I had been it, when I got on them, I, I was has had the perspective that I wanted to eventually get off and it is really difficult and challenging. And so, um, yeah, I commend you on, on taking a chance to stop uh, SSRIs during a global pandemic, during a deadly virus. That's, that's like, you're, you're always up for the, the challenge. And, uh, it seems like it's, it's, always a part of your personality, even during the coronavirus, to not do things halfway. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's that's uh, what my parents learned from a very young age, that if I said I was doing something, I was going to yeah. do it. And I was never fearful of challenge. If anything, it inspired me and fueled me mm. even more. So I love this. And because you're just so extraordinary, I hope we can do this piece of hard homework together. But I, I hope I was basically wondering if there's something that you have not accepted yet or something that you're struggling to accept about the moment we're in right now um, that we could work through together. And I'm going to give you some time to think about it because I'm going to explain what we're, what, 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 what we're going to do with it. So the influential psychiatrist and psychoanalyst Carl Jung says that our suffering comes from our unlived life the unseen, unfelt parts of our psyche. And so it seems that for you, Molly, getting out of the cure mindset of blindness and, and more in the acceptance uh, mindset of your life means that you could really explore those unseen parts of your life and yourself and find pleasure and, and purpose um, that, that, that was so extraordinary. And so what you did is actually in line with a psychological pain reduction theory that's called the broaden and build theory. Do you know what broaden, broaden and build theory is? Okay, I, I didn't either. So I will explain it um, for you and, and anyone at home who's who's not, doesn't have like a PhD in psychology. So it's basically the best analogy I could find for it is that our feelings are like seeds and that, uh, you know, that grow into flowers and that increasing positive emotions within ourselves will expand our creative openness. So the way that we understand and act inside the world. So it basically means that if you nurture positive emotions and if you nurture positive thoughts, as you have described, um, you know, I can instead of I can't, um, you basically instead of approaching your problems with fear, you'll naturally approach mm -hmm. them with curiosity and exploration, right? So it means 
You're saying okay, all great. the things that I know to be real oh, and true in my I life. I love it. I, and I didn't even I know, we like- didn't even talk before this, but for some reason I just knew it's, I love how this is connecting to every, yeah, everything that you, that you said. It, it basically, you, yeah. So you've been living the broaden and build theory. You are literally the, the, yeah, the embodiment of that theory. So it means that you're not trying to hide what's not working. You're actually exploring it. So your solutions will be more creative. So when you feel positive emotions, you're more likely to basically come up with better solutions to your problems. So there are studies that show that children will do better at a math test when they're told to think about a positive memory before they take the test. I even found some research showing that inducing positive emotion through showing uh, people comedy makes them less... uh, makes them exhibit less racial bias when they're identifying the faces of people of color. So positive emotions um, doesn't just mean that we sort of see, it doesn't mean that we see the the world through rose colored glasses. It doesn't mean that we right are ignoring certain uh parts of ourselves it actually means that we can see the bigger picture we're not just focused on this one thing that we feel is broken or makes us broken we're focused on you know what what you did molly which is like i'm amazing i got so much to offer um and i'm going to explore and be curious about it so for today's hard homework i thought we would do a writing exercise or people can do it in their heads um if you're um at home and basically we're both going to choose something that we have trouble accepting right now and try and approach it from the broaden and build uh, theory or the, the the broaden and build mindset. So for me, something that I know is hard is hard is yesterday I was talking to my sister and my parents were lurking in the background because they are six feet away from her. And I was chatting with her about when I would, you know, probably get to go home and, and hopefully see my family. We're both from, from Canada, Molly and I. Um, so I, I was talking to them from, you know, they, they're in Montreal and my sister said in passing, she was like, well, you know that social distance is gonna be around for about a year and a half, you know? And, and then I immediately got really sad that about the idea that I wouldn't be able to hug my parents for maybe a year and a half. Um, I know that there are many people listening who are, healthcare workers um, who can't hug their kids right now. Um, I don't know, you know, Molly, you might, you don't know when you'll be, I don't know when I'm going to be able to hug you, Molly. That's, there you go. Um, So I'm going, I'm going to be working with, with that. Um, And I'm wondering if there's anything that you are finding difficult to accept right now, Molly. I think I've lived I've lived the same life for eight years, which is a life of being on and off planes constantly. Yeah. And that's not probably ever going to be my reality wow. again. It, you know, that's that's been my entire adult life since I was 18 and started touring full time as a motivational speaker. So I think for me, I'm struggling to understand what my life is going to look like moving forward, even when, you know, the full lockdown is over what is, what is my life going to be? What is my career? And how is, how are things changing moving forward? I think that's kind of the biggest. That's huge. That is humongous. So, okay. So I'm going to be working with, I cannot accept that I will not be able to hug my parents for a year. And you are working with, I cannot accept that. My, 
life will never look the same I, again. I think that's amazing. Um, it's not amazing. I think that's an amazing way to put it. Um, I'm very sorry that that's something you're grappling with. And I know it's something I've been thinking so much about too. And many people um, at home listening, um, yeah, are, are, are also dealing with this. So thank you for sharing. Um, so basically I have five little writing prompts, but the game I want to do I'm calling it a game, but I don't know. I think it's fun. Remember in high school and stuff, people had debate club. I never did it. I was not smart enough to be one of those dorks. Um, but in debate club, you basically had to create two teams and you had to argue one side of a debate. And very often you were actually assigned a, a position on the debate. So let's say legalization of marijuana. You didn't really get to choose if you were for or against. Sometimes you were just assigned a position. And so what I want us to do today, I thought this would be a creative way to do this. So when it's your problem, as we said, sometimes you can be stuck in a mindset, like a negative mindset, where you're so focused on the problem that you're not being curious about the solution and, and trying to explore that pain to, 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 to just be more creative. So I thought that we would each argue the positive of each other's uh, difficult situation. Do you want to try? Interesting. <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's do it. So the first writing prompt is. Well, let's try, let's actually just do it before the prompts and see what it looks like. So maybe I can try and argue a positive mindset on the issue of your life, not your, of, of your professional career be looking very different. So you will not be able to go on, on planes logistically uh, as much as you were. And so that means that you, your work life is going to be very different. So I guess my question to you is if accepting that you accepting that you won't be able to travel as much will that lead what does that give you more time to do will that give you more time to do something that you might not be able right now to do or before in your life where you were always hopping off of planes could do yes it already has oh like what oh dating i was <laughs> because I was always so busy and now I can date. And so I've been like doing good little quarantine. Oh my God. Dating. How have we not talked about this yet? What kind of quarantine dating? Are you doing social distance dates? Are you guys, tell me everything that you want to share with, uh, you know, a gajillion people listening. <laughs> um, I, you know, I started up on Tinder a week into lockdown. I was like, well, I'm yes. as well. Um, yeah, and um, almost instantly connected with somebody that was uh. like I was talking to a bunch of different people, but one person like really stuck out, and so we were texting like all day, every day, uh. and then we, were, Can we just like jump on a phone call. Like I need to like, yes. hear your voice, and so we ended up having like our first phone call was like two hours, and so I feel like that was like a date, mm. you know. And uh, yeah, and we have like two hour phone dates every day for six weeks. Two now, hour good. phone dates. That's like high school yeah. stuff. I know. It's kind of amazing. You know, I, I think that dating particularly, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think for a lot of people, there was a lack of, I mean, especially in our generation, a lack of work life. And I love that I say our generation as if we were, I was also in my 20s. Um, but but I think a younger generation that has an issue with work-life balance, um, this 
moment for, again, the people who have the privilege to not have to go out to work right now and, and be grocery store workers or essential workers um, is that suddenly there is a little bit more space to explore different facets of your life that you might not have given yourself permission to really explore. Absolutely. it's It's been like really interesting because I know I would have never had the opportunity to meet him or get to know mm -hmm. him if it wasn't for quarantine. And whether, you know, whether things work out with us after quarantine or not, it's taught me that this is something I really value having in my life. And it is something that I want to pursue with, with somebody, mm -hmm. you know, finding somebody and, and actually making space in my life for mm -hmm. that now, because I haven't properly made space for that in five years. Wow. Do you think that in a way, again, I know that travel and your career was such an incredible channeling of all of your creativity. Do you also think that it was a little bit of an excuse to not date? <laughs> oh, for sure. It was definitely at times a big excuse that I gave myself to not date. Like I'm too yeah. busy. And I think I've given myself a million excuses. And I think... Um, that this guy has played a role in my life of of helping me remove those excuses from my own self-talk. I love that. Um, so yeah, I would argue, just based on what you already said, <laughs> like reverberating, that yes, your life will be very different and traveling will be, will, we're going to be living in a completely different world and traveling will be harder. But it seems like that shift if you are to accept it, will open the door to changes in your personal relationships that will really allow you to flourish. And maybe even, do you think that being, having more time to date and having more balance like that would actually also make your work life better? You know, I think for a lot of people, I would argue that when they give space for things that bring them yeah. joy in their personal life, it, creates you know better work yeah. life but I love what I do so much I don't think I can make what I do better, oh I you know? love that answer <laughs> like, I genuinely miss doing what yeah. I do you know I still get to videos and I still get to go on Instagram but I don't get to do meetups with my fans yeah. and I don't get to do speaking events and and I've been public speaking since I was five yeah. and I'm 26 I've been public speaking for 21 years mm. you know it's I say, like, to me, public speaking is breathing. Wow. Like, it is what makes me most alive and most myself. So I do miss it, you know. Um, but I think once I'm able to start doing it again, I'll I'll just appreciate it and love it. Well, that that's a huge thing, too. That's huge. Is that there are so many things about our about our work lives that we maybe dragged our feet doing or, again, didn't necessarily always take the time to appreciate and now that those things are gone it does make them seem more maybe valuable than they used to absolutely um Wait, oh, okay you want to do it go for it all right i think <laughs> um that even though you cannot express your love through a physical mm. hug it's gonna force you to be more, more creative in the ways that you show love oh, to I people love that. And I, you know, there's like the five love yes. languages, and I think uh, it's so important to understand how you yeah. give love as well as how you receive love. And I think 
we often think of that just in the context of romantic relationships, mm-hmm. but I think that plays a role in every relationship in your life. And so for me, I express love. I show love to people through gift Yay. giving. Um, I fancy myself an amazing oh, gift bet. giver. I, I take it really seriously. Oh. Literally before this, I was at Whole Foods, um, putting together a care package for somebody. Oh. And so I think that there's ways you can push your own self to express love and connect with family in a different way outside of just giving mm. a hug. Wow. You are very good at this. And you didn't even know we were going to to be doing this. So I'm very impressed. I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that one thing I've been definitely even connecting with my family more is, is, or one thing I've been doing is just talking to my family more often because I know I won't get to see them. And so there is this we're more in each other's lives on a daily basis than than we used to. And yes, the borders are closed, which is an insane thing to say. I, you know, legitimately cannot see my family right now physically. But yes, there are so many other ways to be in each other's lives. And you, when there are certain things you can't do, you kind of get more creative, right? So if in a way, it's that's why I don't know, people like to blindfold each other and bed and do all kinds of different, right? Because then your other senses are just magnified and you, yeah, you find other ways to feel your partner and to be in touch and connect with your partner because yeah, one ability, yeah, one thing that you're used to relying on is not available. Yeah, my my family were very spread out. My dad lives in Toronto. Mm. I live here with my mom in LA. My mom and dad are still wow. married, um, long distance marriage. And my brother and his girlfriend live in London, England. Wow. So we've been very international for three years wow. now. And, um, you know, I've been living here with my mom for two and a half years and my brother's been living in Europe for three and a half years. So we've all been very spread out for a long time. And what's interesting is, is we all say, you know, we actually, obviously this is prior mm. to quarantine. We actually managed to see each other more than we would have if we yes. all lived in Toronto yeah. because we actually make such a big yeah. effort to fly. You know, like if I had a speaking engagement in, in mm. Italy, my dad would take time off work and my brother would take time off work and they'd meet up with my mom mm. and I in Italy. Or if my brother, you know, he, he works for Facebook. So if he was flying to Facebook's head office in San Fran, he'd take the weekend and extend and fly over to mm. LA. And then my dad would make it. So we would actually all just make so much more of an yeah. effort to get together. We're like, you know, we're seeing each other way more yeah. than we used to when we all went to Ontario. It's it's really interesting how once that once a barrier or a perceived barrier is put in place, you actually go over above and beyond to to connect mm. in fear of losing connection. I love that. That's such a beautiful way to put it. And I think, yeah, something I definitely worked on is I, I felt guilty for a long time because I didn't live in with my family and, and, or, you know, I live in a completely different country. And one thing that I kind of had to work on was realizing actually, if I lived in Montreal, I probably would see them less than I do now. Right. We would see each other, but not every day. Um, and so it's, it's important to, yeah, like think about all the creative ways that we are, um, that, that we are connecting. And, and again, in the future that it can feel scary to think about the future of, 
dating, it can feel scary to think about the future of, of, of family and, and how and when we will see our family. But we have to remember how creative we are and how incredibly adaptive we are as a species. And yeah. And you know what, through, through like dating this guy in quarantine, we were like, wow, we feel like we've been dating for six yes. months. Not oh, six months. I was going to say that. Because yeah. We're to connect through emotion and mm. intellect. Uh, all of those physical pressures are removed, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a really interesting experience. It's really scary. It's very unknown, yeah. um, but it's really beautiful. And so I, I think um, we all have to find like those little things. And a, a lot of my followers will, will say to me often, I wish I could be as positive mm. as you are. I wish I could be as happy as you are all the time. And, Honestly, I say to everybody, you can mm. be, you know, when I was 12 years ago, I wanted to kill myself. Mm. I, I trained my brain. I worked yeah. really hard to constantly flip seeing the world as negatives into flipping it to see the world as yeah. positives. And now it's not even something I have to necessarily work at. It's something that instinctively happens where those positive thoughts mm. come. So it really is possible to stop seeing this quarantine as just the negatives and the way it's stopping us and changing yeah. our lives for the worse, and to see the good that can come of this. That's such a wonderful way to put it. And I want to reiterate, because we've said this a few times, but I, I think the thing we get wrong about positivity is that we think that being that being positive means closing our eyes uh, or ignoring or avoiding the negative. And it actually means the opposite. It means knowing and being comfortable with pain to be more curious about it and come up with better solutions um, mm -hmm. to to resolving it, right? And and that's what you do. That's what you you've done. And I think that it's, yeah, it's positivity, but it's not a superficial kind of positivity, right? You don't go around just being like, whatever. No, right? There, Life is yes. good. There's no problems. Yeah. War, this racism, right. hatred. No. Here's the thing. I face discrimination on a daily basis as a disabled woman with a mm. guide dog. Um, I cannot mm. drive. I there's all of these negatives that are there. They exist. They are very real. Um, I can't go for a run on my own. Mm. I can't jump on a bike and experience that freedom. There are so many things that I will never get to do or experience. Um, and there's there's judgment and negativity that I will always mm. face. However, those things are right in my face. They're very obvious. Everybody can think about those things when they think about being blind. Mm. But there's also so many beautiful, positive things that balance that negative yeah. out. And I think people are so quick to just like let the negative exist and be there in front of their face because it's easier to see it. But when you search for the positive, it's there too. And it can it can help you be more balanced in your emotions and in your mind. Yeah, and be more creative. You are so creative. You have, yeah. My mom always says that raising a disabled daughter is the most creative job there she ever go. had. Because life isn't made for us, mm. you know? So you're forced to push the boundaries of what's possible mm. and to figure out new creative solutions to everyday tasks. Yeah. And um, it's a fun <laughs> challenge, honestly. I could sit and be like, this is too hard, or I could be like, this is a fun challenge. And I'd rather think of it as a fun challenge. Uh, you're just great. 
I love that. I'm already seeing it on a on a big billboard. I want to or like a poster I want to put in my room. That's such a beautiful way to put it. Um, thank you so so much, Molly. This was such a such a generous conversation uh, where you shared so much with us. Um, we're excited. We're are you are you gonna go on a date? Are you gonna do the social distance dates? That that that's that's what we want to know. What's next? Uh, definitely social distance dates oh for God, sure. And if there's one thing I can leave the listeners yeah. with, it was a quote from the most boring man I've ever met, <laughs> my grade 10 history oh. teacher. And it was, you know, I had, I had begun the journey of accepting my own quirky, unique taste in music and fashion, but I, I hadn't yet begun the journey of accepting my blindness. Mm -hmm. I hadn't yet learned about the social model of disability and, and kind of started delving into that world of things. But this was the beginning of, of that, that seed being planted in my mind. And he said, if you can't accept something in your life, you need to change it. And if you can't change something in your life, you need to learn to accept it. That's amazing. And, and I knew in that moment, I can't change that I'm blind. I've lived my whole life searching for a cure, literally being the poster mm -hmm. child of a charity for a cure, and it doesn't exist. So maybe I need to start learning how to accept this. And we all have something to accept. And that acceptance will come when you stop seeking acceptance of society from those around you and you start seeking it from within your own self and being authentic and true to who you are. So whatever it is, walk that journey, all the ups and downs. Um, for me, it was finding that social model of disability and finding a community of disabled people who chose to love and accept and embrace themselves instead of hide themselves away from society and hate who they are um, and tell themselves that being disabled means they'll never be happy, healthy, and successful. Um, but everybody has their own journey and I can't tell anybody what that'll be for them. But what I can say is, being on the other side is the most freeing and liberating place you can be. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining us on Heart Homework. We really, really feel grateful you took the time to speak with us. This podcast was created and written by me, Liz Plank, and is produced by Ashley Bearden. If you like this podcast, go rate it or uh, review it. It actually means a lot to us to read your reviews and it also makes sure that we can get this podcast to as many people as possible. Um, and you can also now subscribe to my new newsletter uh, by going to hardhomeworkpod.com.